Welcome to Know My Faith, and uh, this is take three on this interview with uh, Steve Schmidt. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. You're going to tell everybody what happened? Are you going to fess up? No, I'll fess up. What happened is, uh, I, because I started the, the Zoom meeting early, I paused the recording uh, until Steve came on board, and then I forgot to unpause the recording. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was the first take. Take two was uh, earlier today when one of my microphones was flat, so I couldn't record at this end, and now this is take three, and, uh, and Steve's going to have to stick his dinner in the microwave because it's uh, half past six at night for him. <laughs> Anyway, thank you for joining us. Um, we're going to talk a bit about uh, about your acting in The Chosen, uh, because I think that's how I came across you in the first place. But um, the first question I want to ask you is, was acting, uh, was it a call from God, you know, like a voice from God, Steve, I want you to be an actor? Or what happened? No, it definitely wasn't that. But I do think we're all made a certain way. And there's certain things that resonate with us, certain things that we love with no explanation as to why we love them and others don't. And I fell in love with acting. Um, I think it was the sixth grade, could have been the seventh grade, right in there. And um, I knew from that point on, I wanted to do it. So when I got into high school, I became an actor and I acted through high school and after high school. And then I stepped away from it for many, many years. And then I came back to it recently with a fury. <laughs> you stepped away for what reason? Just tired with it or? No, I wasn't tired with it, but I was at that stage in life where I had to make a living and I had to get a job that actually meant something. And as a, I was a new believer at the time and I didn't know how to wrestle with, with the world of acting and my faith. So it was just easier to head in a different direction solely for many years, and I, and I did. Yeah. So now you became a believer, it, was it late teens? Yeah, I was right around 18, 17, 18. Right I've got to get the order right. Was it your family was uh, conservative and then reform? My family, from what I'm told, more than what I remember, the first synagogue I think they took me to as a little boy was reform. And then I remember when I was older, going to a conservative synagogue. Now, reform is pretty liberal, isn't it? Yeah, it'd be, um, especially in those days, things have changed, but there was significantly less um, Jewish tradition, like the services wouldn't have been in Hebrew, for example, whereas right. in the conservative synagogue, they would have been in Hebrew. And so that's what you remember from the conservative days is, is Hebrew services. Did you speak Hebrew? No, um, the, the services are done in the for the prayer book portion, which is a significant portion of the services, yeah. is reading out of the prayer book, which, of course, I couldn't do because it was in Hebrew. And um, they did have a page in English, so you could try to find what was going on. But if you didn't have a reference point, and it, it was... It wasn't my cup of tea. Let's just put it that way. At that time in my life, I wasn't too interested. Yeah, the, the impression that we get, and we talked about this. I know the the when we when we didn't record the first uh, <laughs> podcast, um, the impression that we have is that uh, so many Jewish people, even if they go along to synagogue, that that God isn't actually a, a real part of their lives. That it's it's very much just uh, doing the form of it. Was that the case for you guys, or how do you see that? 
Well, I think for a lot of people, it's that way. You know, the older I've gotten and the more experiences I've had, there in almost every religious tradition, there is a significant number of people who just do it because that's what they think they're supposed to do, or because they're accustomed to doing it, or because there's peer pressure to do it. And then there's those who are truly zealous, those who really embrace their faith and believe in what they're doing. And I think Judaism would be no different than any of those others. Uh, for me, though, I was a child and I had to go because my dad said I had to go. <laughs> did that become real? I know, I know it became real for you when you met Yeshua, but did, did it become real? Did God become real for you before that? No, God never became real to me until I started to read the scriptures on my own several years later because I was interested in knowing if there was a God or not at that point. Okay, so this, this is the teenage thing of, of who am I, where am I going, where do I come from? Let's see yeah. if this religion of my parents is true. Yeah, and I, I wasn't really looking to see if the religion of my parents was true. I just wanted to know if there was a God. And it just made sense to me that you begin your search looking for him in the Bible, which I mean the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament. The Old Testament, yeah, yeah. So how did that lead you to, to Jesus? How did that lead you to Yeshua? Well, um, long story short, reading the scriptures opened my mind to the possibility, even the likelihood that there's a God. Yep. I asked God to reveal himself to me if he was there. And I started meeting Christians telling me about Jesus. Um, I didn't put those two together back then. Yeah. I just thought these were religious people sharing with me their expressions and their beliefs. But then one of them introduced me to a guy who showed me messianic prophecy. And the messianic prophecy seemed to say quite clearly that when the Messiah comes, he will be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, rejected by his people, die for their sins and rise again. And all this would happen before the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. <laughs> So at that point, it became a no-brainer to me. Uh, Jesus must be the Messiah. Yeah, yeah. Who, who, who do we know that was born in Bethlehem and came before the temple was destroyed? It all fits together. Yeah, it all fits together. Have you have you been able to uh, use those prophecies with uh, other Orthodox or uh, conservative or Reformed Jewish people? Yes. Anytime I've given the opportunity to talk about God and about Jesus being Messiah, I'd like to point out what the Jewish prophecies say about him. Um, not so much to validate why I believe, but to in maybe encourage them to consider him as well. Yeah, yeah, just to look at your own scriptures and, and, and see what you think. Yep, because yeah. I, I, I was very passionate. After I went on my search and came to believe he's the Savior, I wanted everybody to know he was the Savior. Yeah. But I mean, you went full on. You, you, you decided this is it and I'm going to Bible college. I'm going to find out more about my faith. Uh, and in fact, ended up pastoring two different churches. One, uh, you, you pastor, well, is it pastoring for a, for a messianic congregation? Do you call it pastoring or leading? Um, things change and it goes from congregation to congregation. There's no straight answer, but I was the congregational leader for many years and then I became the rabbi. Okay. <laughs> Just the way we referred to me. So, so you're you're a rabbi of a messianic Jewish congregation on a Saturday, and you were also pastoring a, a Gentile Christian church on a Sunday. Yes, right. Did you, did you ever preach the wrong sermon? <laughs> no, but every once in a while I would refer to the congregation as the wrong one. Yeah. 
<laughs> but they were sister congregations and people got a chuckle out of it. I don't think it offended anybody. <laughs> was it the same message? Usually I would give the same message with some adjustments. Yep. So let's uh, let's say what do we need, and this is one of the things that we do with Know My Faith. What do we need to do as Gentiles to because I mean we're supposed to be provoking the Jews to jealousy by the fact that that your God is blessing us uh, and and is our Messiah as well. What are the things that you would be telling your Gentile congregation regarding that? Well, I think my Gentile congregation was very much aware of the significance of Jewish things because of me. Yeah. I taught on the Jewish holidays, and when Congregation Beth Sar Shalom, our Saturday congregation, had a Passover event, Book of Life, the Sunday congregation, was invited. Not only did they participate, but they helped serve. So they helped put on the, the big event. And when we did the March of Remembrance, uh, some of the key leaders for that Holocaust march were people from the Book of Life, the Sunday congregation. So there was a lot of this mixing together for us. So most of them got it? Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. What about the ones that don't? The, you, well, you, know, you try so hard and, and you just go, why are you not seeing this? I know it, it can be frustrating, but I don't feel the need to be a dead horse. If somebody doesn't get it, they don't get it. That's fine. You know, maybe they just haven't, God hasn't opened their eyes yet. If they believe that Jesus is the Savior and they love one another, that's it. That's the whole package. Yeah. Everything else is just gravy. <laughs> that's, that's good to hear. <laughs> because there are so many people that uh, are, are trying to make, you, know, you must do this and you must do that. And uh, I remember years ago when I was pastoring the church here in, in Katikati, a lady said, well, you must call him Yeshua. And I'm going, no, I'll call him Jesus. You can call him Yeshua. And sometimes maybe I will, but but he's Jesus to me. He's not Yeshua. Yeah. I, and I would tell people what, you don't think he speaks English too? Yeah, that's right. You know, or, or Spanish, Jesus. Right, exactly. In, in, Spain, in, in Mexico, they'll call him Señor Jesus. Yeah. We, we don't force his name on, we don't force anything on anybody. It's not our way. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of Mexicans and, and Jesus, I know you're involved. Um, is it still filming the 12 Righteous? Are you still the filming righteous that? The Righteous 12. Is, the Righteous 12, is, yeah. Yeah, it's done. It's coming out um, in January. Uh, do you get to play a good guy or a bad guy? I play a tough good guy. A tough good guy. All right, yeah, this is... I attach myself to a band of desperados, stagecoach robbers, bad guys. Yeah. And I share the Lord with them as they head, head on their journey to avenge the gang leader's brother's death, who is a pastor in Tombstone, Arizona. Okay. <laughs> I won't ask anymore, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, and there is a trailer or two out. Yeah. Also. yeah. Is there a trailer already? Because I looked for it the other day. I couldn't, couldn't find the trailer. I found the, I found yeah, the movie on IMDb, but, um, but didn't see the go, trailer. Go to YouTube and put The Righteous 12 official trailer, and okay. you should be able to find it. Excellent. So uh, the, I, I was watching um, some of your, or you, what do you call it, a brag reel or your show reel? Uh, uh, yeah, a, a demo reel. Your demo reel. And uh, it, it occurred to me, and we mentioned this the other day as well, that uh, art has imitated life because you play a, a modern day rabbi. 
you play a modern-day pastor. Uh, you play a... Uh, is it a sheriff or a police chief? And I know that you at one point uh, toyed with... You actually did all the training to become a policeman? I did. I'm a graduate of the Riverside Sheriff's Academy. Could you so, could you stick the badge on if you needed to? I know. It, it didn't work that way. You have, you have to get hired by a department. And... Yeah. Um, while that was going on and I was trying to find a job, I also got a position in ministry. So I ended up going that route. Long story short, there's yeah. more to it than that, but that'll suffice. So yeah, I play a modern Orthodox rabbi in Mr. Mayor, season one, episode nine with Ted Danson and Holly Hunter. Oh, Ted Danson, that's who it is. Yes. I thought I recognized yeah. him. I play a Pharisee in The Chosen in episodes four and nine. That's uh, right. Eight. And then season one. And then I play a pastor in Amazed by You, which is on Pure Flix and YouTube and some other uh, platforms, a modern day pastor. And then I play a, a Border Patrol agent in Fronteras on Netflix. <laughs> the, um, the, um, the one where you play the pastor, was that your first move into movies? Yeah, that was my first feature film called Amazed by You. Amazed by You. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you, see, I, I, I love acting. I, um, I don't do very much. I've been in a couple of musicals with small parts, but uh, I'm more of a musician. And when you are a musician, you're only, unless you're in a band with some really, really brilliant musicians, you're normally like it. But as an actor, um, it, it, say if I use the part in The, in the Chosen, um, it's, so far, it's a very small part how does pride work with that when, you know, inside you, you're going, hey, you know, I'm actually really good enough to play. I could play the part of Nicodemus. You know, how come they didn't ask me? You know, every time we audition for something, we want the biggest, best role we can get. Yep. But we're usually very thankful if we get any role. <laughs> and it's just some of the leads in one movie might be offered a, a small role in another and vice versa. It, yeah. it flips around. So I, I got a, a small role in The Chosen, but I got a big role in The Righteous 12. Yeah. I got a, a nice small role in uh, Mr. Mayor, and I've got a decent role in um, Fronteras, and we'll just see what tomorrow brings, you know? Just happy to be acting. Yeah, happy to be acting. Of course, always striving for bigger and better. Um, it's how I've been in every area of my life. And um, one of these days, I'll have bigger and better. Yeah. One of the interviews that I listened to, uh, which you were on, and, and I'm not sure if I've got it correctly, but it's, it's all about being a Pharisee and that because you played the part of this Pharisee in The Chosen, um, you were, it was like saying to pastors, don't be a Pharisee. Have I got that story well, somewhere right? I'm sure I've mentioned that on more than one occasion. But yeah, I do remember saying that at a given on a given interview. Um, I don't remember what the question was, but Pharisees, anytime somebody's legalistic or uptight about religion, they're called a Pharisee. Yeah. But I think we all have a Pharisee nature within us. And the more we see it in someone else, I think the more we need to look in the mirror. <laughs> Uh, my my catchphrase for myself at the moment is stop getting into arguments you don't need to get into. I'm halfway through responding to something on a Facebook post, and I'm going, just, Rob, delete that. Take your hands off. You, you, you don't need to do it. Yeah. 
Um, how did you, how, the, 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 the main scene that I remember you in is the scene where the disciples are at Matthew's place. So Jesus has picked up Matthew. This is in The Chosen. Um, the, the, Jesus has picked up Matthew. You know, he uses that wonderful line that, you know, when Matthew says he's not very good in social situations, he goes, it's okay because it's at your place. And you and one of the other Pharisees, not Shmuel, the... Um, Yusuf. Yusuf. And, and you're like looking through the window going, come on, you're supposed to be a rabbi and you're... You're eating with these unclean people and this this tax collector, and I I know from from hearing what you've said, but you can see the look in your eyes that your Pharisee is actually questioning, like what he believes about Jesus. He he yes. hasn't made up his mind. He's not saying, well, this guy's a good guy or a bad guy. He's he's in the middle there. Yeah, well, this is very early in the story of Jesus. Um, in episode four, we're we're just hearing about John the Baptist. And yeah. so now by episode eight, Jesus is on the scene, but who is he? What is he? And uh, my character wasn't quick to judgment. I mean, I was a Pharisee. I definitely think it's not right. He's in this party with these tax collectors and sinners. But then when he was questioned, he gave a good, solid biblical answer, a holy answer that made me think. Is that, is that your interpretation of the character or does that come from uh, Dallas Jenkins as the director? And he says, well, you know, Steve, I want you to do this and I want you to, to do that. Well, when I got the role, I chatted with Dallas a little bit about the character. And then we filmed episode four. And of course, I thought on the character and then I saw how the role came out that I, you know, did. And then I chat, chatted with him again about eight and we yep. had already agreed, especially in light of what I did in episode four, that this Pharisee could be on the fence. Yeah. Not exactly sure where he's at right now. So I think what a lot of us miss is uh, in the book of Acts, when it talks about the, you know, you know uh, Peter gave his speech and, and you know, 3,000 came to the Lord. And it says in there that there were many priests and Pharisees uh, and Sadducees as well that actually accepted Jesus as the Messiah. So... Um, our, our main impression is that all the Pharisees were totally against him, but that's not actually the case. Right. We don't really know because all we know is the stories of the people that confronted him. Yeah. With the exception of Nicodemus, who was open-minded. All the other stories are about how the leadership confronted him and it all went sour. And they were bad guys. Yep. That doesn't mean they were all bad guys. We just know those guys were bad guys. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to talk to Jonathan Rumi about what it's like for a believer to play uh, Jesus. But what was it like for you to play a Pharisee? What What, what was well, what, what did God teach you through that? It, it was very interesting because in, in episode four, it was innocuous. I was just curious about John the Baptist, like everybody else. But in episode eight, I'm actually confronting Jesus, and. As an actor, that's fine. But as a believer, I don't ever want to see the look I saw in Jesus's face pointed at me. I don't ever want to hear his disappointment or his anger or be on the opposite side that he's on. So while I was delivering my lines to Jonathan Rumi, to Jesus, and he was giving me that look, my heart was just wrestling with all of that. It's a good place to be. I mean, we get that as as uh, as pastors and teachers anyway, because you know you prepare the message, and it's got to impact on you first before it can impact on the congregation. Yeah. 
There's a message you preached, uh, which I'm going to put the link uh, in with this video on Torah observance, because that's uh, it's a huge thing. Um, I don't know what it's like in the States. I assume that it's the same as what it, what it is here in New Zealand, that there are there are so many uh, Gentiles or Jews that are trying to be Torah observant. And this message of yours, uh, you actually went through, not I don't think you went through all 613 of the of the laws, but you showed that it's almost impossible. Well, it is impossible to be Torah observant. Yeah, I did. Um, I used Doug Friedman's research um, and I did list all 613 laws and we broke them up into categories, observable, unobservable. For example, any law that says you have to do such and such in the temple, obviously is unobservable. Yeah. And um, I think you might remember the numbers better than I, because I haven't looked at it recently. <laughs> but when all is said and done, most believers follow the same biblical principles, regardless of whether they call themselves Gentile believers, um, Torah observant, or Messianic. Most of us all believe it's wrong to kill, it's wrong to commit adultery, it's long, wrong to bear false witness. That makes up for a significant portion that we all agree on. Yeah. So by the time you take everything we agree on and everything that we can't do, there's maybe three to five percent of things Messianic Jews will do that Christians won't do, not uh, non-Messianic um, Christians. And then there's maybe one percent of things that Torah observant Jews will do that non-Torah observant Messianic Jews won't do. And it seems to me ridiculous that we would disfellowship, fight, argue, and debate over 1% of yeah. <laughs> all these laws. It's, it's just crazy. It is. What, what's your take on that? Because, I mean, it's um, there's so much, there's the people that talk about the law of Messiah versus the law of Moses. Uh, and You know, most people could not quote 613 laws. No. Most people can't even give you the Ten Commandments. But most believers can give you the two greatest commandments. You should love God with all your heart and your neighbors yourself. So I tell people, as soon as you've got those two down, we can discuss the rest. Yeah. And I say that tongue in cheek because they want to fight. And the point is, if you're loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbors yourself, you wouldn't be having this attitude, this condescending, argumentative attitude. So go work on the two that we know are more important. And we can come back and discuss these lesser important things at another time. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard attitude too, isn't it? I mean, if, if you love someone, you want to do things that they like and you want to stop doing things that they don't like. Um, I think the problem is when we start saying, and this is where uh, the terms messianic have been stolen by uh, messianic Gentiles who are wearing kippers and, and, and you know, talits and things, is where we start, start saying, well, to be a believer, you have to obey uh, Torah, you have to do this, you have to do that. And you go, well, that's, that's legalism. And the Bible says if you miss one commandment, you've missed the lot. So why are you trying? A good portion of Romans was written to address that topic. A good portion of the book of Hebrews addresses that topic. The entire book of Galatians addresses that topic. It's very plain for anybody who wants to read it. Um, for those that just can't see it, back to what I said before, why argue about it? Why fight about it? What, yeah. what, what light will come? Lots of heat, no light. <laughs> <laughs> very inefficient. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> um, do you miss the pastoring? No, um, I stepped away from pastoring tired. So, I hear you. Yeah. So, no, I don't miss it. Um, I do some teaching here and there, which I, I enjoy doing tremendously. And that was always the part about it that invigorated me anyway. Yeah. And so I, I will continue to teach as God provides opportunities, I think. And I'll consider continue following acting until maybe I get tired of that. Yeah. <laughs> Can you see that happening? Well, no, I, I can't see myself getting tired of acting, but the whole constant rigmarole of auditioning and the ro the emotional roller coaster of all that is taxing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, we look at actors and, and you go, um, you know, so some of the big name actors and yes, they're making millions and millions of dollars. But then, you know, I watched a movie with my son uh, last night and there's a girl that appears in one scene and then she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not a $5 million role. No, I think most of us, like 99% of us, I think that's actually the statistic. But most of us can't make a living acting. Yeah. So we either hold other jobs or we struggle tremendously. So we do this because it's art. We love it. Yeah. But it's definitely not uh, glamorous like people think. And it's definitely not well, uh, you know, it's kind of like a guy who plays softball at work. Yeah, he's not he's not making ten million dollars a season in the major leagues. He's just playing softball because he likes it. Well, we get to get paid for what we do, maybe more than the softball guys. Yeah, and there's a shot I might get in the big leagues, but for right now, it's softball after work. <laughs> <laughs> and and hope my wife has a good paying job. Yes, absolutely. Yep. How does your wife find all this with acting? Because, I mean, it's it's up and down and it's all over the place, isn't it? It is. Very up and down, very all over the place. Well, when I stepped away from ministry, it was mostly with the understanding and her support that I was retiring. So I still work. I just don't work full time. I work right. as an actor. Um, in addition to the movies and television and commercials I make, I also do uh, reading for other people who are doing their auditions and coaching of other actors. Okay. And then, of course, the miscellaneous uh, speaking engagement. So I'm still working a few hours a day, and sometimes I actually get a, a gig that takes me out of town and I get to film for a few days. In movies or in series like The Chosen and uh, a lot of Christian movies, you mentioned Pure Flicks before. I know that David A.R. White, as a director and actor, he chooses a lot of non-Christian actors um, to be parts of his movies. Is there opportunity to sit down with these guys and talk about Jesus? You're talking about the non-Christian actors I'm on set with? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure uh, there'd be plenty of opportunity with some people. Um, some people I will be sitting for hours with a day, waiting for our time to get on camera. And we chit-chat about anything under the sun. And of course, faith can be that. Yeah. Just like with anybody else who has a job, or meets people socially, we sit down and we chit chat, and we see what we can talk about. So yeah, with some of these people, there's definitely the opportunity to talk about God if they're interested in that conversation. Yeah, just let it, let it go where they lead it, I suppose. There's an awful lot of sitting around as an actor, isn't there? Yes, very much so. We bust our humps to get there first thing in the morning, and we have to, uh, well, we do the COVID testing now with that sort of thing. 
We, we go to wardrobe where we get our costume on. We go to makeup where they do our makeup and our hair. And then we go to our trailer and wait for somebody to come get us. Um, oftentimes you can go outside of your trailer. There's a, what they call craft services, a place where there's food and you could snack and chit chat with people. Just sit outside your trailer. Um, maybe run lines with a fellow actor. If you run into them, if you see them and want to do that yeah, and, um, just wait to be called. And then when you're called, you're walk over to the set say, okay, that's your mark. What I want you to do is on action, enter from that door, walk over to your mark and deliver your lines. Okay. Everybody ready. Everybody placed action. And you walk over and you deliver your lines. The scene goes on. Cut. Okay, that was great. Let's do it again. Let me see you walk a little faster. You got it. And action. This can go on 30, 40, 50, 60 times. That one scene. Or, or the opposite could happen, couldn't it? You could, you could do it once and the, and the director goes, that's brilliant. And you, you've been sitting around for nine hours waiting for your, for your call and you, it's over in 30 seconds. Well... I have never seen any director satisfied with one take. Okay. <laughs> in fact, they would do another just in case they call it for safety, just in case something wrong, went wrong technologically or whatever. Yep. And, and they're creative too. They want to try it different ways to see which way works out best. But depending on the size of the role, yeah, you could be, you could be on set for a couple of hours and done for that's it. Yeah. A lot of your time is sitting waiting. Have you ever, ever thought of uh, putting your hand in as a director? I've done a little here and there. I, I wrote my own micro series. I brought in a couple of directors to direct it, but I helped direct it also. And I, I liked what I've done with that. I enjoy it, um, but it's not something I'm aiming at at the moment. You know, maybe someday, but it's not a passion at the moment. The, the acting's the passion. I've done quite a bit of producing, actually. Yeah, and, and you're, produ you're a producer of The Righteous 12 as well. Yeah, I am one of the producers of The Righteous 12. I was one of the producers for Amazed by You. And uh, there's a film that we've made here in uh, New Mexico. It's not done yet. The filming is done, but post-production is not done. It's, um, I helped produce that one as well. All right. Are, there, are these, uh, like, you're producing Christian films only, or would you produce something else? I mean, obviously, it'd be, it would be a quote-unquote righteous film. Um. Every film I'm involved in is not necessarily a righteous film, but I don't think I have produced anything in that category yet. Not, not that I plan to, but that's where things lay right now. Most of the stuff I do, I direct myself towards good stuff that's not obscene or foul or dark. But sometimes you head up in that direction, it just happens. Uh, for example, I might get an audition tomorrow, and the scene might be me being a doctor, giving somebody a prognosis. That's all I know about the entire movie. Right. So in, if some of the movies are extremely hush-hush, and I'll never learn anything about them, so I have to take the role with a roll of the dice. Other movies, I may get to inquire and say, hey, what's, what's this movie about? And they'll say, well, it's, you know, we got yeah, it. It's, it's a rough movie. It's got some nudity in it. And I'll be like, well, you know, I don't think this movie's for me. So thank you. But um, I think I'll pass on this one. How hard is that to do? It's hard. Because um, you don't want to uh, 
offend people and you don't want to pass up a great, great opportunities. I mean, we're trying to get gigs all the time. We're constantly auditioning. Finally, we get one and we got to say no to it. Yeah. Dang, it's rough. And then there's always the question of what exactly is righteous? Um, on a scale from one to 10, you may be extremely uncomfortable with anything seven to 10, but you may be okay with everything five to seven. Well, somebody else may be totally unacceptable with five to seven. They're only one to three. Yep. So I know what I'm uncomfortable with, but because of my following, my network, my friends, the work I've done, I also have to ask myself, will this film hurt people? I know. And if I think it will, then I have to question myself, am I going to do it? Yeah. And if I do decide to do it, then of course, I'll put a disclaimer up. Hey, I'm in this new movie, not for the faint of heart. It's not family friendly. I don't recommend you see it unless you watch those kind of movies. So the, the movie I'm in on Netflix, um, I turned it down originally. And then the director called me and asked me, you know, what my concern was. And I told him it was the language in, in my role. I don't use that kind of language, even as an actor. And he said, you know, for this part, it's not that important. What if I take that language out? I said, wow, you would do that? He said, yeah. I said, well, okay. Then, then I had one other concern about the film. Yeah. There's, this, there's this rape scene. How graphic is that going to be? Because if it's even semi-graphic, I don't want to be involved with it. He said, no, no, no. It's going to be very tastefully done. I mean, it's rape. It's not tasteful, but it's not going to be graphic at all. And I said, okay, then I'll do the film. And I uh, did the film and it, and it turned out well. Still not the kind of film a lot of people will want to see because it's, yeah. it's a rated R type film. But these are the struggles I go through on a daily basis. Yeah, and you don't want to get a name as being hard to work with and, and, and too goody-goody, you know. How right. hard is it on your faith being involved in, in the non-Christian films? I know from my time in radio, so I spent probably 20 years behind the microphone on radio, not always with Christian radio stations. Uh, and there were times where, uh, you know, I, I, I've always believed in Jesus, never stopped believing, but there have been times when I certainly wasn't behaving that way. And part of that was the, the culture of radio. How hard is the culture of Hollywood, so to speak, on your faith? Well, when I was younger, remember, I told you I stepped into acting for several years and then stepped out. Yeah. I stepped out because I didn't know how to deal with it in, in great part. Um, now that I'm older and more mature, more set in my ways, um, it's not nearly as hard as it was back then. But it's still a daily struggle because, again, uh, you know, the scene I'm in may not make me comfortable. And then how do I deal with that? And then how do I deal with people? Because as you said, I don't want to come across as some goody two shoes better than everybody else. But at the same time, I have my values and I want to walk, walk within those. And I want to please God when all said and done. And it's a tightrope sometimes for all of us, I think, yeah. no matter where we're at. You know, I had a secular job once where the office manager told me to lie on the phone, say, oh, tell them so-and-so is not here. But they are here. And so I came up, I don't remember what I said, but we got in a big old fight afterwards. So yeah. Listen, I'm not going to lie for you. I don't lie. So if you don't want me to answer the phone, I won't answer the phone. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually, I left a radio station. Uh, I don't know if you remember the little, uh, they used to play two minute comedy shows like Chicken Man and other things. And they used to have little 
innuendos in them. And there was one I was asked to play, which was called uh, Lucinda Lovejoy, uh, a young lady whose friends just called her Luce. And it was mm -hmm. two minutes of, of in, and I just said, I said, I'm not, I, I can't play that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the station that I worked for had 17 radio stations around the country, and it was basically a case of me as a as one of the 100 and, you know, 120 announcers for the company. So it's you know I walked away from it, but uh, yeah. it, it is difficult. It is difficult. One of the things that uh, know my faith is very um, strong about is uh, as we talked about earlier, provoking the Jews to jealousy. That's um, we have a lot of Israelis travel through New Zealand. Uh, they stay with a lot of Christian hosts, and I'm just wondering if you could give a word as a Jewish believer. Uh, to the Gentile Christian hosts about maybe some things that they shouldn't do regarding provoking Jews to jealousy? Well, I don't think anybody should be pushy and annoying with their faith. You know, if, if, if somebody's, if you drop a, a hint or two that you'd like to talk about spiritual matters and they're interested in engaging, enjoy your conversation. But if they're not, they're not. You know, just leave people to, to, to leave people alone. Don't, don't be a, a nudge. Yeah. Um, but if you do have an opportunity to share your faith, um, I, I would go straight to the Jewish scriptures and I would go to Isaiah chapter 53. This is one of the main reasons a lot of Jews believe that Jesus is the Messiah, because that's the longest messianic prophecy about the person of Messiah in the Bible. And it so very obviously and clearly refers to Jesus. That That's a, a great start and maybe a great finish to a, a discussion about Jesus being the Messiah right there. Uh, and I know there's, uh, there was a guy, a uh, young fellow traveling around Jerusalem with a video camera about 10 years ago, um, confronting Jews with that scripture. Uh, and we hear, well, it's hidden. The, ra the, the rabbis hide it away so that the Jews can't read Isaiah 53. Um, it, it is a very, very powerful piece of God's word. Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, he was right. Um, it's not in the annual synagogue readings. It's skipped over. Yep. And um, most Jewish people aren't aware of the Bible at all. They're only aware of what's in the prayer book. And since that's not in the prayer book, they're not aware of it. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely worth pointing out to people. Um, let me ask you one last question. Your, um, your rabbi in The Chosen uh, is a rabbi from the synagogue in Capernaum. Uh, we know Jesus leaves Capernaum and travels around. Do it, does, your, does your rabbi get uh, reassigned to Jerusalem at all? Are we going to see Steve Shemit and the Chosen again? Well, season one was mostly in Capernaum. I was there. Season two was mostly in Jerusalem. I was not there. Though a couple of the rabbis from Capernaum did go to Jerusalem, I was not one of them. I have no idea where season three is going to take place. I hope wherever it is, I'm there, but I don't know. So you might just get a phone call from Dallas one day saying, hey, Steve, are you busy on Saturday? Yes, it won't be from Dallas. It'll be probably an email from the casting office saying, hey, we've got these dates set aside. Are you free? Yep. And then I'll like, yeah, I'm free. And <laughs> then I'll do like I, a little dance. <laughs> yeah. Are you praying that you'll be free? Because you might be filming something else. Well, if I'm filming something else, that's that's a praise God. That's a great problem to have. Yeah. But I would love to be in much more of The Chosen. Not only is it great television, 
but it's as close to my heart for wanting to do anything I could possibly want to do in television. Yeah. So I want to do it because it's great television and I want to do it because it's, it's God honoring and telling the Bible stories in part. But uh, yeah, I want to film other stuff too. Yeah. It ticks all the boxes. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing the righteous 12. Steve, uh, thank you so much for taking time for us. Totally my pleasure. Nice talking to you again. <laughs> again. Yeah. For the third time. Yeah. Steve Schmidt, check uh, check the links either down there or up there wherever they are. And again, if you uh, if you like the podcasts, um, make sure that you click like and uh, ring the bell, all those sorts of things to uh, to make sure that you see them all. They're on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you want, you can go there. God bless you.